0: Right, hello everyone, um, and welcome to episode 25 now of Strangers in the Cinema, with me Paul Anderson and my co-host Pete Wall. Pete, good how e- are you? Good
1: evening, um, yes, I'm I'm very well actually, Paul. Um, as It's funny, Paul, that on the last episode we were talking about how the show, Picking Up Steam as it is, uh, was possibly going to go weekly, and it's three weeks since the last show, I believe. I believe it is. Yeah. So we, we we're well. basically keeping true to form, where we aim for a more frequent output, and we actually are getting a bit more yes, tardy. So, on so the to show, our
0: listeners who have been craving more of our voices, than our apologies. But we've spent a lot of time watching films, and
1: where have you been up to, Pete? Yeah, watching fewer films than I would have liked to have seen. I mean, I've been working a lot. So, um, yeah, all in the, the good cause of sort of trying to earn money. But at the same time, my cinema going has suffered a little bit. Not enough, though, to get to sort of Conor Gagan levels where <laughs> you do the, you do the show and you've not seen anything that came out since about 1997. So we're, we're all set for this episode of the show and really keen to get on with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually very excited, very, very excited to be here today because, you know, I've been moaning on a bit about how disappointing 2016 has been. For films, certainly in terms of sort of the summer blockbuster releases, have mostly really, in my eyes, significantly underperformed and not been that great. And in the in certainly in the gap between podcasts, um, I've seen probably five or six films, mainly at the cinema, that I'm quite excited to talk about, which is great. And I think it kind of, I'd say, the last couple of months has almost rescued almost rescue 2016 for me to be honest
1: yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because we're looking forward to doing a best of the year episode and as you say it's been a bit thin on the ground in terms of things that you know are absolute locks for that list at the end of the year whether it's top five top ten or whatever and it is definitely filling up with I'd probably say that point. sort of
0: midway through the year if you'd asked me to to do a top ten or I, I probably would have struggled to be honest and I think it would have been you know there wouldn't have been much to choose from but But yeah, so as I said, excited to be here Well let's,
1: you know, without further ado, let's get right into it You should know by now the format of the show But we will remind you here that we go through some stages Those stages are related to going to the cinema We start at the popcorn counter where we review in sort of short film uh, Short film? Short form Short form A few films Short form film reviews (laughs) Exactly, that we have seen um, in in recent times Often they are newer releases Sometimes they're older things or things that we've just caught up with That we missed the first time around Then we go on to the preview section, coming attractions. This is where we preview something that we're excited about in, again, fairly short, fairly uh, succinct form. Before we get into the feature section, the uh, main attraction of the show, I suppose, where this week we're going to have two feature reviews, so you can look forward to both of those. Um, This week, Paul, what are we going to do in feature terms? Feature terms, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here,
0: I believe we are going to do uh, Arrival by denny villeneuve that's correct
1: and what else are we going to do pete or because i've forgotten or, imme- with immediate uh, uh, well are, are we going to do a rival paul or have we already done a rival um we're also oh, we're also deep. going to look into a film that i think will have us a little bit divided which is uh, nocturnal animals oh tom ford's latest that's right tom ford's East. follow-up to single man um We'll get to those in due course. Following the features section, we will get to a credit section in which we just give credit to some stuff that we think has been decent recently or even good. Um, But first of all, let's jump right in. Popcorn counter. Paul, step yourself up. What are you going for? Is it sweet? Is it salty? Is it stale? Is it something else? So the guy's
0: looking at me from across the counter and he's like, what popcorn would you like, sir? And I say I would like sweet
1: popcorn. I mean, you say that, but he's probably going like... Uh, all right, mate. All right. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Make a decision. I've never heard your podcast. <laughs> right, and who I d- and I don't who do you think you are? I'm like, I do a podcast. I just want a cinema ticket. No. Anyway, so so let's start. sweet. Now this is going to be a controversial one because I know, I know for a fact that you pretty much despise this film. Well, we'll see, um, Paul. What have you got? The Neon Demon
1: by Nicholas Winding Refn. A Nicholas Winding Refn joint. Uh, the, the coolest of the cool film directors. Very enamoured with himself. Um, <laughs> not, not, not playing my hand too early. But um, why is it that you've nominated Nicholas Winding Refn's Neon Demon? And, and I suppose also to set up, what what is this film? Well, to what set, set the scene,
0: the Neon Demon um, stars Elle Fanning as this sort of aspiring 16-year-old model who moves to Los Angeles. And... Um, in short, kind of loses her innocence while she's she's climbing up the ladder. She initially proves to be very successful. She runs into these other female models and a makeup artist played by Gina Malone, who take an instant disliking to her. Um, and it suffices to say, in a Nicholas Wendon Refn film, it's not all bright and breezy. Right. And she doesn't necessarily have the uh, the smoothest
1: ride to the top of
0: her modelling career, shall we say?
1: Right. It's not bright and breezy, but it is very very pretty. Isn't it? Um, and this is something that that went in its favour as far as you're concerned?
0: Without a doubt, it certainly went in its favour. Now, as much as I kind of think it would be nice to see Winding Refine direct something that takes him out of his comfort zone, I'm still unfortunately a sucker for an electronic soundtrack and wind reference visuals
1: well, i love it you remember how much we raved about the guest for example which had that yeah. amazing perturbator etc yeah uh, electronic soundtrack really, so really
0: cool. wind in um sees um wind in works with cliff martinez again on this and cliff martinez um assisted with score and drive um so you're in very similar territory in terms of sort of and, and the film's called the neon demons you've got neon dren's visuals and electronic soundtrack it looks absolutely fantastic yeah um and that that kind of suckers you in um I, I like it. This is going to sound like a criticism, but this is the reason I like it. Now, a lot. I think I don't know. I don't know this for a fact. I think Reffin thinks he's making something of of kind of deep importance here. It strikes me that he might be trying to be a little bit pretentious and making and as you know and making some in poignant. Now, for me, it is just a straight up exploitation film masquerading as art house. Mm-hmm. Now. I don't have a problem with that because I love exploitation cinema and if exploitation cinema can look this good Mm. then I'm sold yeah that's why I like it yeah
1: I can see this is where the sort of divide comes I suppose because I think this is going to come up when we talk about another film later on I won't spoil that now but I think that increasingly of late, maybe, I've become aware of the fact that there are certain film directors where I just can't get away from the personality that's been created by that film director with previous offerings, right? You mentioned um, Drive in terms of uh, Nicholas winn Ref, and of course we can't forget Only God Forgives, which came yeah. out just, just a couple of years ago, and again was pretty divisive when it came to both critics and audiences. And I think that, that the problem that I have or had with The Neon Demon is that you mentioned you know he seems to be grasping for something profound and I think that the film is so keen to give you imagery to suggest that would you believe it um, folks that um, vacuous things are are fairly vacuous Um, shallow people are quite shallow Um, shiny surfaces are just the surface but I feel like you get hit over the head with these messages in sort of glorious electronic soundtrack Technicolor for, for the entirety of this movie that I just got tired and I just felt like there's nothing here. A bit like how I felt about um, Spring Breakers. Okay. So so Spring yeah. Spring Breakers looks really cool. It has a couple of really cool moments and there's a lot of great surface, but it seems to be a, a, a kind of satire of, of youth culture and the Spring Break phenomenon, but it also buys into that. Nicholas Winding Reffin in this movie, I think... Is, is both critiquing a shallow um, fashion industry, and entirely, embracing industry it, yeah. and entirely embracing it and has a lot takes a lot of pleasure in you know uh, the word I'm looking for like ogling Elle Fanning throughout the movie um, having you know close ups on various body parts of all the women involved and and go so overboard with trying to push his mes- message that, that it completely lost me but but I agree be on wrong but, I mean but no I know and
0: I don't think you are wrong that's the thing but t- I took it as a, as a piece of exploitation work and certainly the, the more controversial scenes the necrophilia scene the scene with Virginia Malone I think pissing on the floor towards the end mm. um although it's so drenched in knee and you're not entirely sure what, what's happening um they look fantastic. They have, and this is coming from somebody who liked the film. They have no context in relation to anything that has taken part in the film, really. Um, but it just looks great. It's exploitation cinema dialed up to ten, and but I just, it, but but is, I, I like that. I no, like, I
1: like that. And I, and I, and I don't disagree with you about that. I think the problem I have is that, like, when a, a film director like N- Nicholas Winding Refin um, pastiches something else, which in in this case is. is by and large, as you say, exploitation cinema, I'd rather go and watch another exploitation filmmaker who is being pastiched here by Nicholas Winnie Refn, right? But D- it won't be it won't be drenched in Neon and have a Chris no, score. No, it won't. <laughs> and and to to that effect I I can't really criticise too much. I mean I yeah I can understand
0: why you don't like it and I can fully appreciate I'm not gonna sit here and argue with someone and say you should like Neon Demon if you don't because Wyndham Ruffin is, is a very divisive director and I can, I said I fully grasp why people don't get into him and again I quite like Tony God Forgives and I understand why people don't. But it worked for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the same same deal. Like, I think that Only God Forgives feels to me like uh, a pastiche of of sort of better um, Asian exploitation films. Really, this this again feels like a pastiche of things that are done better elsewhere. And I just think that Nicholas Winding thinks he's more important than he actually is. Um, And again, I'm taking things a bit. I wouldn't necessarily argue with you. I wouldn't
0: necessarily argue with you. And I I would agree that I think the film takes itself at times possibly too seriously. But if you take it as what I think it is then I think you'll get something out of it.
1: Yeah, we're looking at, uh, what, six, 6.3 on MTB. I mean, it seems about... Fair. like from what we're saying that it's divided people enough where it's not universally embraced but there still are going to be advocates and you know when we were at um, Exit 6 which we talked about recently the guy who won best film and I were outside after a couple of drinks and uh, I really kind of offended him I think because I told him that his pick for film of the year The Neon Demon was rubbish so yeah it's it's definitely been been devices it's not for everybody but it's the kind of film that I think people who listen to this show should see if you're interested in films then it's still worth a watch it's certainly, it's certainly- even if even there it is, the guy guys. There it, it. is. It, uh, count. I don't know what if the time is on this. Paul's catchphrase yeah. is, is out in the open. I'm desperate
0: to try and not repeat myself as much as I did <laughs> in the previous episode. Yeah, I've just
1: said it's worth a watching. Well, well, let's come from the Neon Demon to um, well, my pick for first film of, of this week, which is um, going to be going to be a salty one. Um, salty I've, been, I've been salty like about that. the Neon Demon, and I'm going to be a little bit salty, um, although not with too much aggression. I think about um, Allied. Allied is the new film from... Oh, the trailer looked awful. Is, this is uh, Robert Zemeckis that we know, you know and, and love to, to a lesser or greater degree from Back to the Future etc. Um, in this case he has it, taken it upon himself to direct a uh, kind of throwback um, mm. fairly nostalgic wartime film starring um, Brad, both Brad Pitt and Marianne Cotillard as a couple of agents who meet during the war and are uh, a te- teamed up to escape and also to assassinate certain members of the um, the Reich. When out of this situation, it's possible... Well, when they meet, they're essentially a, a fake couple, right? They have to masquerade as a couple. They're then uh, taken out of that situation and they fall in love with each other, genuinely, seemingly fall in love with each other and go about continuing their lives in England as a legitimate romantic pairing. Um, this is film, it Mr. and Mrs. Smith in World War II? That's exactly the right <laughs> opening, Paul. That's exactly the right opening. It's so funny to, to see this movie and as you watch the beats of the film go by you think, yeah, I've seen this before because wasn't there that film where there was the couple and they were suspicious of one another? I imagine that quote is on the poster somewhere. Right. I will admit I've not knowingly stolen that quote from and, someone else. And but... Br- Brad Pitt, the partner of Jennifer Aniston went into Mr. and Mrs. Smith and that didn't go you know, so well after he'd met Angelina Jolie, his co-star in that film. In this film, Marion Cotillard and Brad Pitt it turns out got a little bit closer on this film and that seemed to end his relationship with Angelina Jolie so history has repeated itself. Um, the film itself it's not, it's not terrible There's no, it's not worth getting angry about at the, <laughs> sa- at the same time it is but I am <laughs> it's, it, it, it's completely silly it's absolutely daft um, you don't really buy into any of it I mean you open up with Brad Pitt doing a fairly reprehensible attempt to do a, a, not only a French accent but speak in the French language Um, there's very forced kind of sexual and romantic chemistry between the two leads as beautiful as they are you don't really believe the relationship once it is supposed to be a real relationship, yeah. when there's some tension at the beginning, when they're having to uh, keep up appearances and pretend that they're in a romantic relationship, I think those sections work better. F- you know, as far as I'm concerned, later on in the film where they're supposed to be together and committed to each other, I just I just didn't buy into it. So you watch the plot beats go by. There's a lot of scenery chewing. There's a lot of people sort of overacting, overperforming. You have like this. uh there's a love scene that takes place in the desert with like swirling sand around the vehicle that they're in. The Cameras swirling around the vehicle that they're in. They're sort of you know clambering on top of each other, and the whole thing is just very overblown and silly. Um, I can see why others liked it. I know my girlfriend liked it a lot. Uh, it, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't for me, um, but. Yeah, not. I don't. I don't feel the level of ire about this film that I do towards the Neon Demon, um, and <laughs> the, you know, the other things that we may or may not talk about today. Paul, what have you got for your second choice movie? Well, I've film? got.
0: Unfortunately, I've got some salty popcorn for my second choice. So I've taken a bite into it. It's salty. It's sour. It's It's Sour as well. Well, it's salty, it's sour. Can you have sour popcorn? No, like
1: lemon juice on it.
0: Sour sour popcorn sounds quite nice, actually. (laughs) I don't dislike salty popcorn. For the purposes of the podcast, obviously, I hate salty popcorn, because I really did not like the next film, which is Paul Feig's Ghostbusters.
1: Oh, Ghostbusters as remade with an entirely female cast, you say.
0: Now, a lot has been made of a lot of kind of the pre-release hate that this film got, and... I fully, I'm, I fully, I cannot support the people who hate it on the film because it has a female cast. I've got no issue with that at all. But I think a lot of the pre release hate was just bloody leave Ghostbusters alone. Why touch it again? It doesn't need to be redone. Um, so, yeah, no issue with the female cast. What I do have an issue with, though, is I don't find Paul Fagg particularly funny. And I don't like the fact, what he's, in my opinion, what he's done is just make a, a poor imitation of Bridesmaids and just stuck ghosts in it. Um, and in a film where Melissa McCarthy in a film where Melissa McCarthy is not the most annoying person and Kate McKinnon I'm sorry Kate McKinnon if you ever listen to this um you were just irritating all the way through. it just quite, got on my nerves. It's funny
1: that you say that because I thought of the ensemble that was put together. Kate McKinnon was probably the standout in terms of um, car- like having the comedy chops to p- pull off her lines, but probably better than anybody else. So, um, I guess we went different ways in this thing. No, Have- but
0: this is this is the problem with comedy, and this is the problem with where he's got, made Ghostbusters such an overt comedy. Certainly for the first half that if you don't find it funny, comedy's critic-proof. Yeah. If people laugh at it, who's to tell you it's a good or bad film? More than any other genre, comedy is... You can't, you can't say it's not funny when people laugh at it. But to me, it just left me cold and grumpy for the first half of the film because I didn't find any of them particularly funny. Yeah. In fact, I, I think I only raised a laugh when Melissa McCarthy made a point that Chris Hensworth wasn't
1: attractive. And, yeah they do really they do really like overplay that yeah. whole point about Chris Hem like it's amusing but it goes on for a long time. Um it, I mean it picks up in the second
0: half I don't think the action scenes were too bad but just for me it just it just felt like yeah it felt like just a bizarre comedy with ghosts thrown into the mix and I really really didn't enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty Can't much. Myself, I'm pretty much with you. I, I, I've got a bit of love for for Kate McKinnon and Melissa McCarthy and, and stuff. So, like, I think that those people being involved got me in. I think the thing that let me down was just the, the film itself was kind of, it seemed like uh, an elongated SNL sort of sketch that was based in the Ghostbusters universe. Yeah, I would agree with that. Rather yeah, than, completely than a, a rather than film than in its right. own right. But you know, yeah, work. <laughs> Shall I take it? Shall I take it? Maybe worth a watch. Maybe worth a watch. Do you think worth a watch? No. Not worth a watch. Don't bother. Don't bother. Go back to the original if you haven't seen that. Um, Right. Sweet for me this uh, time round, Paul. I'm going straight, you know, your traditional Sweet and salty selections. Uh, Sweet is a strange one to pick for Sweet in the, you know, slightly broken format that we've got here because this one, um, I, Daniel Blake, is the new Ken Loach movie that is It's very difficult to describe as sweet. There are some sweet moments involved, but we're in a very, very gritty, very... I'm going to put in quotation marks real, and we'll get to that later, but world um, in the United Kingdom, in the uh, era of austerity, where our central character, played by Dave Johns, or uh, in the role of Daniel Blake, is attempting to sort of pick his way through the bureaucratic spider's web that is attempting to get benefits in this country okay, uh, so he's he's had a heart attack and isn't he's, he's not, not fit to work not, according to his doctors he's not fit to work but according to the benefits of it is he is fit to work. right he's he's, he's, he's failed on a rubric where you need 15 points because he's only got 13 points or something like that so he's denied that um disability benefit so he has to look for job seekers benefit but if he goes for job seekers benefit he's not eligible for his other benefit and so he gets caught in this net of never really getting further than being referred to another and another and another person, right? And when I say, you know, another person, oftentimes it's another computer at a desk Mm. that he doesn't really understand. Um, He's an older gentleman. He's not so au fait with technology and he feels like he's always hitting a brick wall. In with him, we also meet a character who's been sent up to uh, Tyneside, the Tyneside area where it's set, from London. Unable to find a council flat in London, she's been put on the list and then sent further north in order to get with that two kids, that yeah. flat. Yeah, with, with two kids. Um, there are moments in this film which I found very powerful and very affecting. Not least one that I know has been a bit divisive in the food bank, where the younger female protagonist. Is uh, well so so hungry and malnourished that she goes to pretty extreme lengths, let's say, to to sort of get what she needs. Uh, I, it hit me quite hard at the time, actually, um, as did a couple of other moments in the film. However, there are have been accusations that things here feel a bit too calculated and carefully set up, and I wouldn't entirely disagree. I mean, what you've seen this as well? What do you think? It's political pantomime. Okay, tell tell um, about And then. the more I think
0: about this, as much as there's a lot about this film that I liked, certainly The End The end had me in tears, and we'll, we'll throw that down, I'll be perfectly honest, so there are some really great moments in it, but the Job Centre staff are just too... Uh, we're evil Job Centre staff, we're evil Tory establishment. You've got the bit where he, the, where he sprays the thing on the side of the wall, and everyone turns around and starts cheering for Daniel Blake, and it's like, yeah, fuck the Tories. Now... Fine, but you, but are, you, should declare, to be Paul, you are not a Tory, no. you're a dyed in the wool Tory, and I'm certainly not. But you know, Ken Loach's kitchen sink realism, which is what certainly Ken Loach is, is a big proprietor of, um, it should be more realistic than it is. And I think, as much as there's some great moments in the film where characters are so obviously a, a political statement, it kind of takes you out and makes you remember you're watching
1: a film. Um, which films like this shouldn't really do, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, it, it's a difficult one, because I agree with you that there is a bit of... Um, in, in such a low-key film, it's a funny thing to say, but there is a bit of grandstanding, I think, where mm. people are just given a soapbox to kind of deliver rhetoric from the, the mouth or, or you know word processing software of, uh, of Ken Loach, or perhaps it's a, a oldie typewriter or something like that, or a Quill and Ink, I don't know. But um, yes, that that is the case. Having said that, though, and I think I said this to you when we came out of the film, it's very rarely in this country that you go and watch a movie that even even vaguely resonates with the day-to-day existence of real people in, in, you know, from a working class background very, very rare because those films don't tend to make it as far as multiplex cinema so I wouldn't want to come down on the side of, I mean for example there was a big controversy with Camilla Long and her piece um, that she wrote I think for the, the Times maybe Yeah, I read a little bit about that Yeah, she, Although she even that I think has been misrepresented because people wanted to say that what she was saying was, well just pulling quotes from her which were damning Ken Loach for what he'd done with this movie where if you read the whole piece, I think it's actually fairly even handed what, what she had to say. I don't love her. She was on film 2016 recently. It was almost intolerable. But um, I think that there's enough that does resonate and there's enough that does hit home that I could forgive him. a lot. I, know, of that I, would, I would completely agree with that. And I, I don't think it's a bad film by any stretch at, at all. In fact, and I, I think it
0: is a good film. I just think there's there's the soapbox bits just separate you too much separated too much from the subject matter and it just seems a bit silly in places mm. um, and I think that's a shame because it's, I'd say it's an important film more than it's a great film right. but what I think is a shame is if they tightened up certain characters and made it a bit more believable I think a good film would have been a, a, a fantastic film
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, having joked about the the whole tag of a uh, uh, you know, worth a watch movie I would go as far <laughs> as to say that this is a must, must watch movie not to say that it's going to be necessarily top ten of the year or it's, you know, absolutely vital for a, the canon of, of filmmaking of the last few years, but I think it's a must-watch movie because I think that at this moment in history, even for all its flaws, this is something that people should be considering. I think there's
0: en- enough pe- enough people have come down on the side of it to show that the issues that Ken Loach is exploring are obviously there. Are they there to the same extent, to the same characters? Do those, do those people exist at the same level as there in the film? I I don't know with any certainty and, and but for, for, I don't think so for all
1: and I'm, I'm with you on this and it's not a. am not attacking you here but like for all that we can say oh some of this is soapbox and grandstanding and so on and it's a bit unrealistic the amount that we're fed upwardly mobile you know upper middle class people having problems like oh you know I've just lost my job at the advertising agency so I'm going to have to open up my own advertising you know mm. so many have this conceit yeah. that is based on a, on a strong of, yeah. of society or that most of us struggling, don't uh,
0: Struggling artists who live in million
1: pound apartments. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Greta yeah. Gerwig is trying to come to terms yeah. with the world whilst writing poetry in a New York loft, yeah, pay getting for money from, parents, from somewhere. Yeah. yeah, so like all power to Ken Loach for, for making the movie that he did, flaws and all, I think, really. Yeah, agreed. What have we got left? What have we got left? Oh, we've, we've got nothing left. We've got nothing the, left. The popcorn to bag is completely... We're on to trailers now. Completely open. All right. Completely open. Coming completely attractions, empty. in fact. Okay. So, we settle down into our cinema seats, comfy, uh, ready for, for the feature reviews that are to come, or the feature film that's to come. Um, then we're going to talk about a couple of things coming up. What are, are they? Do you want me to start, Pete? Yeah, I would like that. I will.
0: <laughs> so, I'm going to throw out a trailer for Logan... And what on earth is this which dropped recently which is Wolverine 3 or X-Men 47 um that was much funnier in my head sorry listeners <laughs>
1: no I, I so was James laughing Ma- hard James, inside James
0: Mangold's Logan which is the third and I believe well the third certainly the third solo Wolverine film and I believe the final time that Hugh Jackman is going to play uh, Wolverine um it's going to be R-rated, which I would say is a response to the success of Deadpool. And I'm very excited about an R-rated Wolverine movie because we finally get the violence we deserve, I think. Um, I'd say the trailer may may have taken some criticism, or whether it's criticism or praise, I don't know. It's got a very Last of Us, kind of very gritty mm-hmm. vibe about it. Um, and check out the trailer for yourselves if you haven't seen it yet. It looks like a... V- a very different superhero film which I think, you know, we're crying out for at the moment
1: Yeah, yeah, well a superhero film with a bit of edge after seeing, you know the, the blunted claws of uh, Suicide Squad for example, oh. which is 12A and we, we talked about that before so yeah, I'm, I'm into that and I've got some uh, some time for Wolverine as a character I think, but the main question here is, is Famke Janssen involved at all? No I don't Might think be so. out then, might be out Uh, no I'll get to it and we'll definitely come up with a a review of of some kind in the future do you have any idea when that's coming out is it new year or next year okay next year but it's amazing how specific you can be I would imagine
0: I'm gonna go do you know what I'm gonna focus this for you yeah blockbuster season next year blockbuster season somewhere between
1: May and September okay okay we're going for a May to September release uh, release on Logan yeah um, uh, well I can be specific Paul without any notes or reference to anything that the or film, the IMDb page in front of me Pete. <laughs> you, you give away too much um,
0: thanks for the help on Logan I'm glad you pulled that up for me when I was struggling oh you're, no. you're very I've welcome your the, g- the keyboard's closer so, to me yeah, so you fair, know fair.
1: I, I aim to please yes thank you for that um, yeah I'm going to pick this time for an upcoming thing that I'm excited about the uh, Damien Chazelle film La La Land which follows uh, Whiplash which we both liked quite a lot oh, I bloody love Whiplash yeah um, Damien Chazelle as you may or may not know has quite a musical background himself and is making a sort of loose uh, musical trilogy this uh, La La Land in particular features Emma Stone opposite Ryan Gosling which is something that we've already seen in uh, Crazy Stupid Love when uh, Emma Stone said that Ryan Gosling looked like he'd been photoshopped because he's just so damn pretty Um, in this thing it's a musical which isn't something I would necessarily usually gravitate towards but is directed by one Damien Chazelle so I will be right in there as soon as it comes out. When will it come out Paul? I will tell you. 2017. It will come out in 2017 in the film season of 2017 but more okay. specifically on the 13th of January I am in the US, informed in the UK Paul look at that. Well, you've got the UK release now. Yes really. I have. yeah. Even though it says in theaters which is a very US word. Thir- 13th of January so not long to I'll wait. I tell you what, if we do a podcast
0: one. after the thir- if we do a podcast on the 14th of January you will have to admit you're wrong because I guarantee that won't be in the cinemas, <laughs> in the UK cinemas, on January the 13th. Yeah,
1: it, it may well be the case. You may be right <laughs> about that. But uh, I'm looking forward to a lot of that. I mean, yeah, can't say enough good things really about Whiplash. So if this is you know half the film that was, then I'll be more than pleased, really. I'm right there with you. Right. Uh, let's get in to the features for this week. Should I clap again? If you want. No, because that sounded terrible on the microphone last time.
0: <laughs> Shall I do... Ba, 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 ba,
1: beaches. That could be the new thing. Get that drop. We're going to stick that in As every the show. All the, all the pep that if you that. you think put that sounds that.
0: awkward, I feel even more awkward when i
1: do that i don't feel you really sold it I don't know if you really bought I'm into it it, to what you were saying features then. go right features let's go uh, oh it's me first isn't it yeah we're going to do a double feature as i mentioned earlier um we're going to settle into this conversation we're going to we're <laughs> going to ignore this here microphone and we're just going to kick back we haven't really discussed either of these movies between the two of us already so let's kick off with um let's go with nocturnal animals first of all paul Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, we mentioned this as a follow-up to A Single Man. Now, to my eternal shame, I have not yet seen A Single Man. I went to watch it directly out of the cinema from watching this movie, and I just couldn't do it for reasons that I will explain. But, Paul, you have seen that, right? So you knew what A Single Man, yeah, to, yeah, I knew, I knew what, to what a
0: degree, to expect, right? yeah. Um, so Nocturnal Animals is Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal... Who else is in this who else is in this film that I can't uh, I've Phil and oh, Paul and we'll get back to Aaron Taylor to that. Johnson. Oh well, yeah, you were going nuts for Aaron Taylor yes, Johnson. Absolutely nuts he? for Aaron Taylor Johnson. So Amy Adams is an artist. She is married to Army
1: Hammer. That's right. Army Hammer that you she's know from social network yeah.
0: Oh so she's married to Army Hammer, um, who's kind of the typical socialite, very rich, very well to do sort of establishment kind of guy. Um but has clearly previously had a relationship and had been married to Jake Gyllenhaal in the past. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal kind of sends her a transcript for his book. She's, or Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Jake Gyllenhaal's mean. character. Jake, Gy- Jake Gyllenhaal's character sends her a transcript for his book. She starts reading it. The film then jumps from the jumps from the the story in the book to the story of Amy Adams and how she's kind of coming to terms with how perhaps looking at how she treated her, her husband in the
1: past. Right, and then we've got this story within a story, that story from the novel that has yeah. been delivered to her, right, which and we somehow egregiously forgot one Michael Shannon is in that subplot. Yes. Um, this is a subplot involving a, um, what, like, what would we call this, like a, a roadside crime in which uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Amy Adams' characters are run off the road and Amy Adams and her... The character's daughter are kidnapped and summarily uh, not yeah. treated very well. Um, this story, let's break it down. Because Amy Adams' character is played by either Fisher in the story, right? This story within a story. First of all, take that on face value. What did you think about that sort of substrand, that subplot? That sub strand and that subplot is,
0: you know, that could it could have kind of come from any kind of sort of sort of neo-western kind of American thriller film with that kind of story where you've got Michael Shannon amazing again in this, um, investigating the murder committed by Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Um, and yeah, I thought that was enjoyable. There was nothing particularly special about that story in itself. I like the way it gelled with the, with the other story personally. Um, but what it did for me show isn't yet, again, another great performance from Michael Shannon who just sort of ate up the screen. Mm. And for my money a career best from an actor I don't normally rate that high. highly 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 is the word I'm looking for there listeners so I apologise um, Aaron Taylor Johnson I thought was, was brilliant absolutely brilliant I did not see it coming at all he was genuinely terrifying
1: yeah yeah I mean it, it took me a little while actually in that sub Plot to figure out that that was the actor playing that character, which yeah. is, is usually quite a good sign, yes. right? and, unless it's a sort of a, an overtly bad performance, which it certainly wasn't. So yeah, he really sort of lost himself in that character and and, and brought it to, to life. Horrible, grimy life. I think um, one of his cohorts, Pet, pa- played by a uh, Carl Glussmann, who I noted in this movie is also in Neon Demon, and he's also so in, I recognized him from. He's yeah. also in Gaspar Noe's movie Love. that, yes, that came out uh, not Yeah, yeah, I recognize. Yeah, I was watching the Neon, De- Neon Demon. And so I yeah, he signs it, up yeah. to some interesting. Projects yes, that character yeah. there, doesn't he? Um, okay, so that's the story within a story, and the story outside of the story is, is is Amy Adams drinking wine and looking mournfully into the middle distance, right? Yes. Or is there other stuff going on there? That's pretty much Amy Adams kind of realizing that she's been, wow, well, an absolute
0: shit to her ex husband, yeah, um, and coming to terms with that, really, and coming to terms with the fact that her new husband is, surprise, surprise, a wanker,
1: yeah. Um, so the film. As it stands, this this film within a film, the the, the framing device, it, it worked for you. I, I I understand. I really enjoyed it. Right, because I, again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself on the on the Neon Demon here, because they're very different movies. But I I felt like with Reffin in that, and uh, with Tom Ford in this. I found it really hard to separate myself from the director and the aesthetic that the director is so desperately creating, where everything is sort of so perfectly uh, mannered and the uh, props and the characters and the clothes that they're wearing and the glasses that they're wearing are largely Tom Ford product. And to me, at certain points, it felt like a very lavish hour and a half commercial for perfume or something like that, where who am I supposed to connect with here? Apart from Jake Gyllenhaal in the crime strand Mm. of the film where there are some genuinely tense moments and it is, but I felt like I'm being robbed of a better film because we've got to, you know plant that within this framing situation that i don't care about i don't care about army hammer i don't care about amy adams character i don't care about whether or not she is coming to terms with what she's done in the past because i don't feel that we're given much in terms of character development outside of the story that's been inserted within the plot the story inserted within the plot is enjoyable pulpy Silliness, grimy, pulpy silliness. But I wanted that to be the whole film. I wanted Michael Shannon to have more screen time. I wanted your boy Aaron Taylor-Johnson to have more screen time. And I feel like we lost a load of that because we have to keep going back to the art world and and the struggles that those people are having, which I don't I But don't I would say with. the
0: character I engaged with was Jake Gyllenhaal's, both, with both of Jake Gyllenhaal's characters because the, his character was essentially the same character as he was within the story within a story as he was in the, in the, Adam, in the Amy Adams storyline and I, I respond to what you say about, about everything sort of being Tom Ford and everything being polished yes that was there but what was quite interesting for me is it, it's it's very funny you say that because I leveled exactly those criticisms at a single man mm. and thought where's the rest of the film here as much as I, I did enjoy, I mostly enjoyed a single man this I, and I was talking I think in the previous episode about when you when you end up clock watching and you don't, when I literally came out of this film and it felt like half an hour had passed and I thought Okay, I really enjoyed that. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as, again, as an important film as necessary Tom
1: Ford thinks it is. Um, and he's aping people again, though, isn't he? Like the who doesn't make people the, the headlights on the street. It's like oh, we're in it, now. It's Lost Highway. Now it did it's feel very David Lynch. It, now now it's uh, No Country for Old Men. Now it's you know it, it just felt like better filmmakers being channeled through someone who is obs- obsessed with his own aesthetic, and it and it just rang completely hollow for me in the end. See, it didn't for me. I you're right he was
0: he was aping people but i for me it felt like more of a homage than a rip-off but look at Um, like this
1: this is one thing coming out of it that i thought about right look at what steve mcqueen someone who's come from the art world into the filmmaking world is doing steve mcqueen yeah of course is influenced by other filmmakers without a shadow of a doubt but he's creating his own world he's creating his own style he's engaging with interesting characters and interesting stories whereas i feel like someone like Tom Ford or some other uh, sort of preening slightly pretentious filmmaker like a uh, Harmony Corne or a Nicholas winning Reffin are so caught up in w- in the, the process of presenting cinematic product, that they forget that cinema is supposed to be about empathy. We've talked about this before, I think, but like um, uh, Roger Ebert said that cinema is an empathy machine, right? Mm. In which we can experience the inner lives of other people and we can empathise with those people and that helps us to go out into the world and empathise with others, right? In the story within story here, yes, for a moment you feel nervous and you feel scared for these people in a very dangerous, horrible, nasty, grimy situation, but it, it but it's undersold because then you're supposed to buy into the idea that you care about about people's inner turmoil when they're living this kind of moneyed uh privileged existence and how they might be conflicted about something they did in the past that you have no reason to care about other than the fact the filmmaker see, saying oh you should care about
0: it this. is bizarre because you almost you're almost espousing my exact thoughts on a single man well i, I should of, see that now kind I mean. of what i thought i would think of coming out of nocturnal animals yeah but and yeah i would i could you know i've got to take all your criticisms on board but i I didn't feel that with yeah. this film um and to me I'll counter to a point to me there's no problem with going to a cinema and going, "Oh my god, doesn't look everything look beautiful sure absolute escapism sure um and for me it, it engaged on both but, those but, levels but, but I that's... engage with the story i am I actually empathize with Annie Adams, who's a character that he's
1: hard to empathize with, and it all looked stunning, and I didn't mind that but yeah and i, I might and I completely see where you're coming from When it's escapism I think that's where we've split because my escapism stops being escapism as soon as I go oh I see what you're doing and I don't really like you the person Mm. who's making this film and I don't like the ideas that you have about people and I don't like, like the way that you're actually quite cruel with your characters and you don't have a lot of empathy and you don't have a lot of depth of feeling towards Real people, and so I, I've kind of checked out at, th- at that point, mm. and that's I know that's a problem for me in, in sort of talking about films to a certain degree because I might give films less of the benefit of the doubt once I've decided how I feel about the filmmaker, and that well, might be a, you? You my own. You
0: don't have to go the benefit of the doubt. My own, <laughs> my own limitation.
1: It. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, you know, I had moments in this where I thought, like, God, I am really enjoying myself. Like, this is sort of scary and propulsive and, and really gripping. And it was just sort of towards the second half of the film where I just started thinking, yeah, I I don't like the filmmakers and I don't like... The, the feeling that surrounds the making of this movie and I don't really know why it exists when there are better you know westerns exploitation movies crime movies and so on that I'd rather be watching now like Hell or High Water for example I'd mm. easily have, happily have jumped out of this and watched that again so yeah I, I'm glad we've had this conversation because it's really been quite an entertaining one and I've enjoyed <laughs> myself and um yeah exactly the kind of thing that the show should be all about because you know these kinds of different opinions make it a lot more interesting as far as I'm concerned than if we both pat each other on the back but you can all see how
0: it- Divisive. It is proven to us. Yeah. I would say, Pete, that it may
1: well be worth <laughs> a watch. <laughs> it may be, get that rubber stamp out and stick it on this one. <laughs> worth a watch. Uh, talking of which, Paul, let's go on to feature number two, um, or go back to it from a point in the future, or oh, jump into the middle of very it. Very clever. Uh, this, of course, is uh, well, of course. If you're keeping up with my geeky, stupid references <laughs> to the plot, this is uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, arrival. I think I love Danny Villeneuve now I genuinely think I love him Coming in hot
0: Coming I'm in strong I'm just going to throw it down there I, I I'm going to avoid the F-bomb Because I've been saying it too much On the podcast in recent weeks Yeah iTunes don't like that Although I, we've got a warning
1: Oh okay We've got an explicit language warning right, okay. So we can go nuts if we really want to
0: I rather bloody love The rival. Is it a jolly good film? It's a, it's a jolly good film, and I had a jolly good time watching it. So, so, and just before we just before we get into just before we get into what it is, no, in fact, let's tell people what it is first. Before okay, okay I, before yeah. I correct myself from criticizing the trailer. for, yeah, the for, for
1: those unaware, this one is uh, a, an alien invasion film of sorts, but it is a film that deals more with the sort of uh, on the ground issues of trying to connect with the aliens rather than to try and shoot them all in the face, which is what we usually get with uh, alien invasion films. Um, in this one, well, it's funny enough, uh, Amy Adams. Amy, <laughs> Adams <is> <laughs> <back> <laughs> again. Yeah. Amy Adams this time is a, an expert linguistics professor who um, is tasked with the uh, job of, of going onto to the alien craft and trying to communicate through her deep uh, understanding of, of, of various languages and forms of communication with the alien creatures that have showed up without any explanation, really, across the globe in, what, 12 locations, I yeah. think? Um, and she is joined by Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner is some kind of scientist, I think. Yeah. Mathematician, it, physicist. I think he might be a physicist, mathematician. Yeah. Uh,
0: Specialising in chaos theory. No, that's Jurassic Park. So. Um. It's, it's not. It's not Jeff Goldblum. That's some thinking of Independence Day there, rather than Arrival, which is a bad confusion to make.
1: Right. So, <laughs> so a lot of the movie is basically dealing with these two individuals uh, boarding a craft and yeah, trying trying to make contact in a way that might be meaningful. And do you know what's great about it is. That's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. That's pretty much the film. And it's kind of I wanna say I don't want to I'm not want i am not going to use the word highbrow sci-fi. It kind of is. Um but yeah, it's a, it's a sci-fi thriller with a brain, which is great. Um I've got no issue with films having a brain and it is a prime example for me of what more Hollywood films should be like. Mm. Big budget with a brain. A bit like Chris Nolan films, when there won't drift Chris Nolan here. Big budget makes you think and not made for idiots.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I co-sign on that, Paul. Um, I think that this film really takes its time to build a, an atmosphere and feeling around what it might really be like to the best extent that you can with a major release, you know, blockbuster movie. Um, from, you know, the, the opening section of the film where you find out the details of this alien invasion sort of as the Amy Adams character does in real time when she goes to take that lecture and then all of the students in her thinly uh, populated lecture get message alerts on their phones and just sort of look at the screens and then she's told to turn on the television and then you're not given... The information is on the television immediately. The camera kind of takes its time to get round to showing you what's actually going on here. So when you journey with her to the alien craft, you do kind of feel a sense of awe yourself and a a sense of kind of revelation yourself rather than being given all of that stuff up front. So I think that plays in its favour a, a great deal now. We're not going to spoil the film It's obviously. hard to talk about a lot of what's in the film without spoiling it. It um, is it is I, and i've got to,
0: it's it, a lot more of an emotional roller coaster than I expected it to be mm. um, and that's a very, very
1: good thing yeah um and I think isn't a lot of this film, whether you're sort of really appreciate it or not? Tied into whether you buy the emotional payoff in the last kind of quarter or fifth of the movie. If you right? don't
0: buy the emotional payoff, you haven't got a heart, <laughs> and I don't want to know you as a person. Uh, uh, <laughs> and maybe you'll you'll never I, have I, a heart. Honestly, I can't speak highly enough of this film. I just came out being blown away, and I'd want to touch on something if I may, just to digress yeah, a little go, bit. Go I we talked about trailers a few weeks back, and I was crit- very critical of the Arrival trailer um, and how much I think, I think it gave too much away. And now I sit there and go, that long trailer that I've ripped into was absolute genius because it led you up a garden path and it makes you believe the film is something that it's not. And I am sorry to the person who cut that trailer. I am truly sorry. It was a moment of trailer-making brilliance to make the trailer they did. Because this is not the film you expect and that's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I I think... um, if anything, and it's not to say, oh, here's, here's me getting negative again. Um, if anything, uh, I felt that going through the sort of midsection of the film, there were moments where I thought I might be losing me slightly, or I'm not sort of as invested as I, th- I hope to be. But then when that but then it pulls payoff back in, comes, it? yeah. yeah and, and one thing, and I think you'll probably co sign on this, but like one thing that I found really disappointed and also kind of inevitable was not about what was on screen, it was about the people around me. Because when the film finished, And we sort of fade to black and we've just been hit with what we've been hit with. It's exactly the kind of film that demands that you sort of sit in your seat for 30 seconds more. You you watch the credits roll across the screen and you just think about what you have seen. you sort of process it for a little while. And maybe you're going to leave the cinema and you want to contact someone that you care about, someone that you love, someone in your life. And what actually happened in the screening, as, you know, this happens a lot um, in in mainstream cinema viewings, I guess, is that um, three quarters of the audience couldn't get out of the place fast enough. So right now you hear people saying, oh, what was all that about? And like, what did it mean? Here's an here's an idea. Cinema goes. How about instead of saying oh, I couldn't leave because I was crying again, <laughs> <laughs> like a baby, yeah. can't leave the scene. But and
0: you know, I saw the light between oceans afterwards as well, so I was I cried a lot that right. night.
1: What double head. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Like, how about sometimes we watch a film in the cinema, we let it finish, and we just think about it for a minute, rather than running away and rather than trying to get you know we're very, I would be very hypocritical if I said let's not keep spouting our opinions all the time. It's what we do on the show, but. Give it a minute. So, I've got an idea
0: here. Yeah. As we have talked and talked and talked about films, which yeah. is good, and it's what we should be doing, but I'm aware we're very close to the running time, I'm also aware that we can give credit to people we damn well like to. Yeah. So what I'm saying Who you giving credit to Is for? let's just go straight into the credits, and let's give credit... Yeah. to the people who sit there and think
1: about the film drawing the Sunk credits. Soak it up. Soak it, it up. I love it. I absolutely love it, Paul. So me. like when we
0: saw a more credit to the people who sat there where well, actually no one could, if you've seen, if you've watched Amor in the cinema, it was a bad idea. You literally, you are damaged goods after a more Rather than just getting up and going, sorry mate, can I, you know, I need to go to the toilet or pushing me out of the way so you can get out. Credit to the people who sit there and give me, I'm not going to sit there for the whole credits. Just give me, 30 seconds to a minute, maybe maybe two minutes just to sit there and think about what I've just watched. So yeah. credit to the people who sit and watch the, some, at least some of the credits.
1: Yeah, I want to add one credit to your credit, and that credit is going to go to each and every person who has downloaded even one episode of our show, because, <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know... It, this is very, very much heartfelt. We've had uh, up, ups and downs with the show. We've been inconsistent with putting the show out. Uh, one of our recent episodes did in extremely well, and we were del- delighted with that. Now, obviously, we've got work to do, and we're pushing forward, and we've got lots of new ideas. But anybody who listens to the show, thank you so much. Uh, you know, from both Paul and I, and also any th- anything that you can do in the future, whether it's sort of sharing the show around, uh, telling somebody else, uh, getting somebody involved in the conversation, throwing in an email, anything like that, rating the show. And, and whatnot. It's from that kind of support that we can carry on doing this thing. And um, you know, I've I've seen the future, and I want to live through that future, Paul. I want to live through it with you. So, without spoiling arrival uh, ladies and gentlemen, sit in your seat. I'm going to be in tears at the end of this podcast. Think, means, think so. about that. Um, yes, that leaves us just to say really that you can get in contact with the show through strangers in the cinema at gmail dot com. That's our email address. Uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, the shows are all At Stranger Cinema on Twitter, I think yeah, is the end, isn't it? that's yeah. correct. Yeah, uh, all the episodes are catalogued um, at SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash strangers in a cinema. Find us there, tell your friends, pass it on, iTunes, um, spread Stitcher, the word, every, yeah. everywhere. everywhere, where you now, get your podcast everywhere. from and stuff like that. We look forward to being back. We'll have a load of other stuff to talk about in the next episode, but for now it's, it's bye from me, Pete And goodbye strangers from me, Paul. Goodbye, strangers.